today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Happy Oregon homeownership is the result of a good working relationship between the home buyer and their realtor. Make buying your Oregon home a fun and rewarding experience. Get our free guide to happy Oregon homeownership. Act now. Limited availability. Free at realoregonhomes.com. That's realoregonhomes.com. Listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Broadcast Network.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning, listeners. Welcome to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. Can you believe it's the day after Christmas? And I want to know how you all are. Are you incapacitated? Are you paralyzed by exhaustion? Or are you feeling energized and are you going to go out in the year-end sales and shop with with all the people who you were upset with when you were shopping before Christmas. So counting today, there are six days until New Year's Eve. How are you planning to end the year? Are you going to have fun? Are you going to be dumb? Or are you going to get numb? Now, those are things that all of us, I'm sure, who are listening have done in the past. So let's think about those questions for just a moment. Are you going to have fun? How are you going to do that? Have you made plans? We could make our planning for New Year's Eve and New Year's Day a relationship opportunity. We really could. Talk with your partner and family members about what each of them would like to do. Many of my patients report that they go to an unfulfilling New Year's Eve party. I think we can all identify with that. And then, here's the real kicker, though. The next day, their spouse sits in front of the TV watching sports. I cannot tell you how And welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon, my fellow patriots, ladies. I seem to be really happy with this. And the spouses who are not interested in sports seem to be angry because guess who takes care of the children? And many of the kids get bored, and they argue to get attention, and they tattle. And gee, some of them even become total pests. And I don't know about you, but that does not sound fun to me. And I have actually lived that many years. So this year, we have an opportunity to have fun that includes everyone. Have a team building building meeting. And let each person who attends have a win. Let each person have a success by agreeing some request that they make for New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. Wow, that's a great relationship opportunity. Now, the other thing I asked at the beginning of the program, are you going to be dumb? And I'm going to share with you a true, true story. Are your teens going to go out on New Year's without any discussion with their parents about what they're going to do, where they're going, and what the phone numbers are, where they will be. Are they bringing in the new year by getting high or drunk with their friends? We know many, many teens who do that. How are you going to guide your teens 
or young adults about risk taking? This is a huge question. Uh, I remember my some of my past New Year's Eve, and I don't think my parents would have approved. So let me tell you what Betty did. But first of all, for those of you who haven't met her yet, let me give Betty a formal introduction. Betty is the name I've given to a made-up person who is an accumulation of all my parents, my patients and my parents who are patients. All I can say about Betty is that she really rocks. Back to what Betty did with her teeth. Let's see. Betty was determined not to allow her teens to do dumb things ever, but especially on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And last year, her 14-year-old twin son told her they were going to a party. Their answers to Betty's questions about with whom and when and how and where, they were too vague for her. So she told them that until she got names and addresses and parents' phone numbers, neither of them was going anywhere. And you can imagine the attitude that they gave her. So with some belligerence, her son said to her, yes, we are, we're going. And Betty didn't argue. But Betty made a phone call. She was lucky enough to have a 250-pound, six-foot-four brother who arrived around 1 o'clock on the day of New Year's Eve. And at 7 o'clock that evening, Betty's two boys came down the stairs all dressed up and ready to go out. And Uncle Jeb asked them, where are you going? And they told them they were going to a party. And Uncle Jeb said, did you give your mom the information that she requested? And they kind of looked sheepishly, and the boys acted really dumb and said, well, what are you talking about? And Uncle Jeb said, did you give your mother the information she wanted about where you were going and who you were going with and the parents' names and their phone numbers? And again, they sheepishly looked at each other and said, well, no. And Uncle Jeb stood up, and these kids were short, so you can imagine six feet four, And he walked up to the boys, and he looked down at them and said, you aren't going anywhere. Nope. No information. No privilege. Now, I was just thinking about going out to dinner. Want to come? They went. They had fun. And they were not allowed to be dumb. And here's the real lesson in this. And actually, this is very true. As it turned out, Betty and her brother Jeb saved Betty's two boys. The party they had intended to be at ended up with the death of one of their friends who was so high on LSD and pot, he jumped off a balcony and died. No adults were at the party. No rules guided the party. It was held at a vacant house that was for sale. It was a tragedy. It was not fun. And Betty's sons were not allowed to to be dumb. Now, I know that might seem really elementary to you in thinking of it that way. I'm not letting my kids be dumb. But this is what happens, especially with kids and teenagers, because they cannot make wise decisions. Their brains are not developed enough. So the last question I have for you before we meet our guest is, are you going to get numb? Boy, I've done that before in my life and way past time. By this I mean, are you going to over-imbibe? Do you not remember how you brought in 2018? 
What has been so bad for you this year that being numb looks like a solution? Being numb implies you want to insulate yourself from yourself. Yes, that's what I said. Isolate yourself from yourself. Do you know why you would want to do that? And that's a deeper question. It seems like New Year's Eve carries different meanings for every individual. What does it mean to you? How do you want to greet 2019? Remember, only you have the power to make your world how you want it to be. And with that in mind, our guest has certainly recreated his world and is making it the way he wants it to be. I'd like to welcome Andrew Benzie. In 1991, Mr. Benzie formed his own graphic design business, Andrew Benzie Creative Design. Those are the initials A, B, C, D. I love that. Andrew Benzie Creative Design, A, B, C, D. In 2010, he founded his publishing company that is called Andrew Benzie Books. He is my publisher, by the way. He has spent over 30 years in the design and print industry, and Andrew grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and graduated from the University of California with a fine arts degree. He has worked as a freelance designer as well as for large corporations, including Transamerica, Deloitte & Touche, W.R. Hambrick & Company, and Cybex Books. Along with his publishing company, Andrew is the online administrator for the Mount Diablo branch of the California Writers Club. Andrew, I am so honored to have you as our guest this morning. And I understand that you... Pardon? I'm happy to be here with you, Anne. I'm so happy to have you. And I understand you've had a long journey to create your life as it is now. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. And, yeah, again, I'm very happy to be here. And I hope everybody had a good Christmas. uh, And, uh, again, honored to be here with you, Anne. Uh, And as far as my long journey, yeah, well, you know, we all have had our long journeys to get where we are today. And uh, mine involved, as, as you say, from a professional side, it involved working for uh, corporations and freelancing in the uh, graphic design field was my chosen path. And I had two parallel paths as well as I was interested in music. And uh, so I pursued that as well. And that means playing and performing music. And I play bass and drums uh, is my instruments of choice because I could never choose between one that I liked better. So, uh, I wish I, I had, had that a... talent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it keeps me busy, that's for sure. And yeah. uh, so, uh, so uh, I did the corporate work for many years, and I kind of got burned out after a while on that, and I did a total career change, uh, and I ended up uh, really focusing on my music and going back to getting uh, training more on music, and then I became a private music teacher for about 10 years. And uh, it was most, mostly with students, uh, uh, privately one-on-one, and a lot of young students as well as adults. Uh, and it was a completely different career path, and uh, I enjoyed that as well. And then I sort of switched back, and my current, uh, current career main business is with my book publishing company, uh, really kind of almost found me, but I think we'll get more into that later. So, and then as far as, uh, 
my uh, relationship. I've been single for many years, and I have been married, and then went through a divorce uh, not too long ago. So, you know, that's all part of the path that I have been through. Well, Andrew, we welcome to Relationship Radio. (laughs) (laughs) It's good to be here. No, I think we've all traveled the path that um, uh, allows us to be somewhat of an expert on hindsight relationship issues that we could have done better and uh, how we maybe could have picked our partner in a better manner. So uh, do you still give um, private music lessons? I don't anymore. I uh, did it for about 10 years, and uh, I just was ready for change after that, but I'm proud to say that one of my best students that I had for just nearly 10 years is now in the, the Berkeley School of Music in Boston, and that's very mm-hmm. makes me very proud as a teacher to uh, oh see, make a big change in someone's life, and so... Uh, so it's exciting. But uh, at the current time, it's really mainly my book publishing business, design okay. business, keeping me busy. Well, we're coming up on a break, and we're going to take it, and we are going to return with Andrew Benzie. We will be right back. Happy Oregon homeownership is the result of a good working relationship between the home buyer and their realtor. Make buying your Oregon home a fun and rewarding experience. Get our free guide to happy Oregon homeownership. Act now. Limited availability. Free at realorganhomes.com. That's realorganhomes.com. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, listeners. We are here on the day after Christmas with Andrew Benzie discussing a myriad of things. And I want to ask you, Andrew, because in my discussions with you, you told me that as a musician you got dependent on marijuana. And this is a huge, huge topic in today's culture, because now it's, quote, legal, unquote, but I might remind our listeners it's not legal for minors. I Would you mind if I asked you a little bit about this? No, not at all. I'm happy to talk about it. Okay, well, what got you dependent on marijuana? What do you think? Yeah, well, you know what? For me, it was really, it was an escape, and I had been dealing with issues of, uh, uh, Parents' issues, growing up, self-confidence issues, not fitting in uh, with the with the, the normal way <laughs> I was supposed to be, and uh, I think really that was more that that was my issues. And when I was a young teenager, I think was the first time I experimented with that, and it was really just it it finally enabled me to just sort of let go and not uh, worry about uh, all those issues. And it, so it was a sense of freedom that I experienced, and that that really 
is what became addicted addicted to it. Really, that's that was the draw. It was really an escape, and I know that uh, I'm sure there are others listening that can relate to that. Uh, so that that was for me what happened. Well, as you know, um, chemical dependency is one of my areas of expertise, and Andrew, you have so much company because if we don't have friends or if we feel um, that we don't fit in, joining a group of folks who are smoking weed is an entry ticket. That's all you really have to do to have pals is smoke weed with them. And parents don't get this, I wish they would, to really investigate what the social climate is at the school and how their child is doing and what the friends are doing. So parents, I really support you in, in how hard it is today and to really investigate and be a sleuth around your kids. But Andrew, I wanted to know what happened to you that influenced you to stop smoking pot? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And of course, it, it is funny. I, I guess I always sort of joked that one day when it became legal, then I would quit. <laughs> After all the years of uh, dealing with back alley places, trying to try to deal. And uh, anyway, so, but you know what? Really, for me, the final thing was when my marriage was, was falling apart. I, I really I was working with counseling and all kinds of things, and I really wanted to to give it my best effort, and I know that I couldn't have done that uh, while I was still using, and so I I really, that was the main drive, and I did, I was clean for the last six, eight months of my marriage, so I, I just would have, it would have been very hard to look back, uh, and of course, it you know, it ended in divorce and, and that's okay I'm, I'm I'm okay with what happened but it would have been very difficult to look back uh, and know that I didn't give it my best effort uh, and it, it did help me certainly clear my head and and thoughts and so that that was really the the inspiration for me to to stop and I've been clean ever since so and oh, of course the divorce and everything was yeah, thank you. Well, you know, the divorce and everything was very hard to go through, of course, but it, I, I was so happy and proud that I that I made it through. Uh, so, how, how many years do you have clean and sober? I think it's about three now, some three or Great. four. Yeah. Oh, that's so <laughs> wonderful. You know, you did it at a really complicated time in your life, and I, I really respect you knowing that you wouldn't be clear in your mind going through a divorce if you were still under the influence. And my patients, um, spouses who I deal with, the families, are so upset that the chemical, the, the marijuana in your case, is sort of like that's the primary relationship and there's no space for me in the relationship between the person who's smoking weed or using drugs or drinking and them. So you had some insight, and I just want to know, how do you maintain your abstinence from from pot and create, how did you recreate your life around that? Well, that's another great question, and I totally agree with you. Uh, You know, it, it really was my primary relationship partner 
for many years, and it, mm-hmm. it, so it was very difficult to fit that in. And uh, and I I think I knew it underneath all along, but I it was hard to face up to that fact, and and it was scary to risk uh, going without my friend of so many years that had helped me get through difficult times. So it, it was difficult, but for me, um, I went through uh, MA or Marijuana Anonymous, and I used uh, that system and and I mentor and sponsor and. Uh, uh, it really helped me to talk to other folks that had been in similar situations, uh, people of all ages, and uh, you know, it just it just really helped to to know that other people had been through the same thing, and that I could relate with them, and we could all talk in an open environment and without any judging, and that that really helped me, and especially working with uh, my sponsor uh, and. And that that just kept me on the right track, and uh, I was very thankful for that group. And so that would be the main thing that was a help for me. And I guess just the other thing would just be the the realization. I think, like I said, I probably knew all along uh, of that I that I was not being really all that I could be, and I wasn't really in, as in touch with myself as I wanted to be. And so I just stuck with that. I, I lived one day at a time, and uh, and with the help of uh, friends and family, uh, was able to recreate my new life and, and reprogram my brain to uh, to live live without <laughs> without that in my life. Uh, well, so. you make so many important points about this, and it is a challenge to stop doing what we have trained our brain to anticipate, for example, getting high. And it is also really, really challenging to look at ourselves and discover, wow, I really do need to make a change. How can I do that? And it's my experience as a psychologist in the chemical dependency area that folks need a path on which to walk so that they know what they can do and what they can't do. And by going to Marijuana Anonymous, hats off to you, because that's one arena in which we can find a path to our own recovery. And getting a sponsor is another way, somebody that you can call who's just there for you, who doesn't gossip about you or judge you. And I, if anybody's struggling with this, kind of um, challenge. I really, really support you in going and investigating Marijuana Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous, or if you don't like the anonymous programs, there's Life Ring, there's uh, Refuge Recovery, there's a whole venue of things out there that will help you for free. Any thoughts about what I just said, Andrew? Yeah, it really is amazing how many people are there to support you and they're they're just there on a volunteer basis and they're you know it's a lot of these uh, sort of issues are hidden away from our society and people don't want to talk about them and it was so refreshing to be able to be with a group where everybody could relate and everybody was there because they wanted to be and uh, and everything kept in the room it was private you know what you say stayed in the room 
and it was just a, and it was also a great way to give back and help you know new people that would come into the group and see that they were going through the exact concerns and worries I had when I was joining the group. Um, so it it's also makes you feel good about giving back uh, to others and helping and telling you just by telling my story. I know I helped others as well as them helping me. So it was an all around really a nice, nice um, situation. Yeah. It's such a kind path to recovery from an addiction. And you know, for most folks that I work with who are smoking pot, they don't realize that they're addicted and they don't, they can stop for a week or so and say, well, that's no problem, I'm fine. But what they don't take into consideration is that for up to two weeks or longer, marijuana, uh, THC hangs out in the fat cells in your body. So it may feel like you don't need to use, but come week two, people start to get irritable and uh, want to argue with you, and that's part of the withdrawal. So I wanted, I'm very curious about how you used to spend New Year's Eve and day before you went on a permanent sabbatical from pot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was a daily user for many years, and I would have spent it the, the same way I would have spent every other day. <laughs> so uh, there was there was no change in that. And, and just to touch on your uh, last comments about um you know, I was certainly mentally addicted, and there was a physical, no doubt, and, and I, I know that a lot of people think that you don't have that with pot, and uh, I certainly disagree with that, uh, but I was I was certainly mentally addicted. There's no question about that, and so that didn't turn on or off during uh, uh, New Year's Eve or any other day. So it was you and pot, and then whoever else was around? Yeah, pretty house. much. <laughs> yeah, I, I would uh, that would that would fit in first, and the rest of life would fit in around that. I think that we really need to be mindful about that. That the other people in our life just take a back seat, and it causes relationship problems that I could go on about for hours. But I, I'm also curious about how you spend your New Year's Eve and day now in a clean cover. Manner. Yeah, well, and again, I try to try to treat it just like every day. I try and be enjoy and appreciate every day that I have, and uh, it's a new start every day. And uh, being more in tune with myself and my feelings and who I am, and and clear headed uh, is certainly a, a different experience than what I lived for many years. Yeah, I, it's just so interesting about the phenomena of marijuana, and we're going to come back to that and much more, but we have to take a break. And after the break, we will be back with Andrew Benzi. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. 
These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Listeners, welcome back to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are here with Andrew Benzie discussing addiction, and we're going to be discussing other things, too. So, Andrew, we just kind of signed off before the commercial about how we spend our now New Year's Day and New Year's Eve and maybe other holidays with, without addiction in our pocket. And for many of us who have a drug and alcohol use background, recreating the idea of fun is especially challenging because once we're addicted, our brain tells us that getting loaded or high is the very best and most satisfying type of fun. And this is a real struggle. The addicted brain seems to scream that this is the holiday celebration like New Year's Eve and New Year's Day and and now is the time to get loaded or have an edible or whatever you're going to do to take you out of reality. And I'm very curious, Andrew, about how you recreated fun for yourself. This is such a challenge for so many folks in recovery who I treat. Yeah, well, that is a great question. And certainly back when I said earlier about the reprogramming, um, my brain uh, and with the help of MA, and uh, that was a, a big help of and to talk with people, and I guess the other thing for me was keeping busy. I really, you know, I, I certainly do have a busy life, and that was a, a big part that got me through, is keeping busy with uh, everything that was on my plate, uh, rather than sitting around thinking about uh, other options that I didn't want to think about. Uh, and boy, yeah, that is a difficult question to answer, and I'm sure everybody has their own way, but for me, yeah, it was just, it was keeping busy, keeping motivated, uh, and, and being accepting of the feelings and thoughts that I had, and, and just, just taking it one day at a time, which was certainly the teach in the AA and MA programs is, is just one day at a time. You have every morning you get up and you have another 24 hours uh, and not being overwhelmed with uh, uh, the, knowing that it's okay to have thoughts. And But uh, having some people to talk with and a support network certainly was a big help as well. Yes. And, you know, what happens when we become addicted to pot or anything else is that the use of that becomes our coping mechanism for happy, mad, sad, glad. 
So mm. it's how our brain tells us, gee, this is how you need to solve the issue. This is a struggle for so many, not just so many, I think all folks who enter recovery and end their relationship with mind-altering chemicals. And I was wondering if there's any other words of wisdom that you've given us many that you could offer people who are struggling with addiction, like denial and do I want to do this, do I not want to do it? Any thoughts there? Yeah, I guess the the, the final thing I would say is, um, like, you know, the, it really, really for me, it really helped to, to talk to other people. And I... For me, I'm not uh, a very religious person. I'm a more spiritual, but not a religious person. And I know that I was concerned about with the MA program that that was sort of, you know, I did a little research and, and realized that it, it seemed that was part uh, dealing with God and religion was sort of intertwined in. And I just wanted to let people know that that's not really the case in, in modern programs that I went to, it's really about your higher power rather than God. And I did notice that there was many people that joined after I did, and they had the same concerns as me. And I just wanted to pass that on to anybody who's considering those programs, that your higher power can be whatever or whoever you would like it to be. And don't let that be something that keeps you away from from getting help. And, you know, you can always just try, go to one meeting. And, and see what it's like. And, uh, you know, it's free. There are people that support you there. And give it a shot. And, you know, and that's, that's, that's uh, a great step forward. So that's what I would probably suggest. Those are, that's a really good suggestion. And I always have to come back to folks who go, oh, I don't believe in God and I don't believe in a higher power, so I couldn't possibly go to a 12-step program. And I say to them, well, I just don't believe that you don't believe in a higher power because you have made your alcohol, pot, whatever it is, your higher power. That's what you turn to. So in recovery, we have to find another higher power because if we throw everything that we used to do out in the wash, then we have this void like, okay, now what do I do? I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any higher power. And my, I just gave up my drug that was my higher power. Now what do I do? This is a huge issue for those who are contemplating recovery. But remember, we have made our substance our higher power. And giving that up is necessary to find another higher power. And I also wanted to know, how did your marijuana use influence your relationships, Andrew? Well, another great question, and uh, I agree with what you're saying. I had never thought about it that way, that that was my higher power. <laughs> I and, know. People don't think about things like that. And um, I'm always curious about it because it was your higher power, right? Yes, it certainly was. Yeah, and so I don't care what you replace it with. It doesn't have to be the Christian God or any anybody you've got. It can be whatever you make it, but if you don't, get a higher power in your life, then there is that void. And when you are anxious or when, when um, something happens that's not so happy in your life, we automatically turn to our old higher power, which is our substance of choice. But let's get back to um, how pot influenced your relationships. Well, the, the sheer 
definition of it being the higher power meant that that came first. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's pretty difficult to, and I know it was difficult for my ex uh, to be in that situation. And uh, it was, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry that, that she had to go through that. And it was a tough time for both of us. But uh, obviously, when that is my higher power, my priority, then that came first. And everything else came second. And so it really uh, made it very difficult, if not impossible, to have a true, real relationship uh, with now, loving and caring uh, being first. Yes. Now, I have a question regarding that. Um, and if it's too personal, just say it's too personal. I'm not answering it. Did you and your ex-wife talk about this before you were married? About your marijuana use? Yes, we did. And she made it clear how of her feelings, and I still didn't, I guess I wasn't ready to change. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. really the, the bottom line. I just I just thought I could continue. And, and I did, uh, I'll say stop. I, I wouldn't want to say quit, but I stopped a number of times. But uh, then when I thought uh, I could, Everything was going smoothly. I thought I could then just start to have just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and everything would be okay. <laughs> yeah, you and everybody else. Well, um, we're going to change topics, but I just want to end this one by saying, um, substance, mind-altering chemicals, are such an impediment to the ability of having a close, intimate relationship with someone else because your substance is the close intimate relationship. Would you agree with that? Yes, I, I would. And certainly the more uh, distant I get from that experience, the, the more clear it, it, it is true. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just wasn't, I wasn't fully committed. Uh, I, I couldn't have been. So. Yeah, and we can't do it for somebody else. We have to do it for ourselves. That's so true. Yeah, and so that's what really... You know, yeah, just having her tell me, no, I shouldn't do that, uh, it wasn't enough. And only when I finally made a decision that, hey, I I need to stop, I need to change the path I'm on, was I able to really do that. And, of course, it was with help of others, but it really was a mental, uh, finally uh, something clicked and said, you've got to, you know, you just got to make a change here. You can't keep living like this. You're not, you know, pro- progressing the way that, that I can. Yeah, I have so many patients come into where I work, and they just say, I'm here because my husband or wife's going to kick me out if I don't stop. Or for uh, young adults and teenagers, I don't want to be here, but my mom and dad are so mad, or my mom and mom or dad and dad, whoever, they're so mad at me, and they're going to take everything away, and they're going to kick me out, so I'm here for that. But they honestly don't want to stop using, and they don't give up their using friends, which is another issue. So, yeah. But we're going to move on. We're going to talk about your publishing business, if that's okay. And, I, and before we do that, I just want to thank you for being so candid and helpful with our listeners about your experience with marijuana. Well, you're so, welcome, and I, I hope that helps anyone out there listening. And uh, I think that it, the power of, of being honest, and, and you know what, we, we all have I like. Uh, I heard the definition somewhere. Someone said our life is like a tapestry, and we all have our unique tapestry, and we have 
things, parts that we're proud of and parts we're not maybe as proud of, but uh, it's all part of our history and what makes us who we are. And accepting that I found very rewarding to be able to accept the, the good and the bad and, and being, being honest with myself. Yeah, and becoming your authentic self because alcohol and drugs, boy, do they numb out our authentic self and we end up not knowing who we are without our mind-altering substance. Yeah, so, agreed. moving on, I want to know about book publishing and I want to know how you got interested in the book publishing business because from my humble experience in it, it's a it's a cutthroat, really hard business. And tell me if I'm wrong. Feel free. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can be. Of course, it depends on what your goal of writing your book is. Uh, but uh, to to get it, how I got in, obviously, I was in the design and print business for many many years, and, and how I got into the publishing side uh, in modern terms uh, is when when my father retired, and he was an accountant for. Uh, many, many years, and he decided he would retire and write a murder mystery novel. Mm. <laughs> so he wanted to bring some excitement in <laughs> his life. <laughs> and so when he completed his book, he came to me and he said, would you help me design the cover, uh, the back, the spine, the interior layout, get the book on Amazon, and do an ebook, and do a website for him, and help help him with all the other things entitled with the publishing a book. So that was really the first book that I published uh, exclusively on my own. And, of course, the technology has was just coming along uh, with things like, of course, Amazon and the print-on-demand services, e-books, things like that, that had made it all possible to do what, uh, what you normally had to go through the traditional publishing routes. And so when I went through that experience, it really reminded me of what happened in the music industry in the 1990s when the same thing happened, the technology with MP3s and Napster and the Internet was it finally enabled musicians to not have to go to traditional publishing houses and they were able to get their work out there. And so I, I sort of became fascinated by that process. I saw that that was going to happen with the book publishing industry as well. And so um, just basically through word of mouth and uh, other venues that I that I speak to, um, I just came getting more and more clients, and, and off, it was off to the races from there. Wow. Is it, you know, I've heard from other authors who, don't, who are not your clients um, that the book publishers don't do what they used to do for the authors. And many people that I know end up writing a book, getting it taken on by a, uh, a well-known publisher, and then it sort of like goes off into oblivion if it's not from a well-known, famous author. Do you have any comments about that? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, it's... it's and we're, gonna come, we're coming up on a break, so we're going to have to make this about a short... Answer. Okay. Well, it, it uh, it's changed. It's changed so much the industry, and I think most authors are under the misinterpretation that if they get signed with a large house, that they will do all the work and they can just sit back and and collect royalty checks. When it really is okay. a lot about marketing yourself. Okay. We are going to have to go to a break, and we will come back for the rest of the answer to that question with Andrew Denzi.
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, around town movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's around town movers. Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Listeners, we're back with Andrew Benzie discussing publishing books. We went from chemical dependency to publishing books. Boy, what a varied uh, interview this is today. So we were talking about what the book publishing business does for its authors today or doesn't do. (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, I think that uh, in the in the past, it, well, this is really what a lot of authors are facing: is the choice of going with a traditional publishing route, should they be uh, signed, and it's a, certainly a difficult uh, process to do that. And even if you have a great book, they're really looking about what what category is the book in, how well is it going to sell is really the bottom line, what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. And unless you're, what I've found is it seems they spend most of their budget, the traditional publishing houses, on their their biggest uh, authors. And so many of the authors that do end up with a uh, traditional publishing deal, they end up having to do a lot of the marketing side themselves anyway. And so I think many authors these days are thinking, well, if I have to do all that anyway, I will. Uh, why would I give royalties away to a publishing house? So yes. they, that is certainly a different way to go. Now, it, it requires a lot of work, no doubt, in the marketing side. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a, lot of, a lot to learn, but there's certainly a lot of opportunities uh, that didn't exist even five years ago for authors. Okay, so what would you say to aspiring authors, people who are just like, oh, I really want to write a book someday, and then they're writing it, and they don't know what to do with it? <laughs> well, I'd first of all say it's a great time to be an author. Uh, like I mentioned before, with all the advances with print-on-demand technologies and e-books and the Internet and Amazon and, and other retailers, uh, it's a great time to be an author. There are more opportunities than there ever have been, and... Uh, you know, I work with my clients are kind of all over the map. Uh, I work with clients who just want to do a, you know, print a memoir for their grandkids to people that uh, are really serious and trying to market themselves as a professional author. And uh, there is no right or wrong reason for publishing your book, but I would I would uh, suggest one thing is to really clarify your goals about why you're you're doing that. And I think. Most everybody seems to have a book in them, uh, and yeah. the more the more clear you can think of what is my goal out of this, it helps uh, to make those decisions that need to be made uh, during the process of publishing. Yeah, it, it, 
Oh, let's not um, make this sound like a glorified thing. It's really hard to write a book. It takes a lot of time. And with that in mind, I was wondering if people were doing it for money, do authors make money anymore if they're not famous folks? So that's a good question, too. And it, you certainly can, but it just it, the main thing I stress, and I certainly talk with all my new clients, is to make sure they're very aware of that the marketing side, that uh, it is so important. And, and basically my job is to take your book and make it look as professional as possible with the cover design, the layout, the interior, everything, and make it look totally professional. But that's not enough. <laughs> Even if your story is great and you have a professional-looking book, then you need to then focus on the marketing side. And you really need all three of those things. You need a great content, a great design, and then the great marketing. And if you fail at any one of those, then it's going to be tough. Just, But just keep in mind that even you know, ex-presidents uh, of the United States, for instance, they write their book and then they tour around the country and they sell a lot of books, uh, signing books mm-hmm. and talking about that. But as soon as they stop the book tour, their book stops selling. So mm-hmm. if uh, presidents can't sell their books uh, without uh, marketing, neither can you. <laughs> so it's just something that needs to be thought out and, and come up with a marketing plan. And it doesn't necessarily need to take over your life. But it, uh, what I do with my clients is I do marketing consulting, and I'll talk with them and I'll suggest lots of different ways they can market their books, and then they can choose what they're comfortable with if it's social media or other other areas that they want to focus on, and maybe even pick a, a timetable, say, I'll do this for three months or six months, and we'll see where I am then. Um, you know, most authors or, or artists, just like musicians, prefer to work on the writing side rather than the marketing side. So yeah. it, it, a lot of them get very scared and frustrated with the marketing side, but I, I try and tell them, don't get intimidated. Just pick what you're comfortable with based on, again, what your goals are, and see if we can make it happen. Well, I'll give a tip to listeners who are potential authors or are authors that one of the best things you ever, ever did for me was create some fabulous bookmarks, and they went like hotcakes. People loved (laughs) them. They're free. They were not that expensive, and so there's a hot tip. But I was wanting to know, is there can you kind of give us an outline briefly about what you do to market books? Yeah, so uh, I'm not a marketing person per se that I will take your book and market it for you, and there are other people you can do that. Should you choose to go the self-publishing route, you could hire a freelance designer or someone like me just to do the design work and then have somebody you know outsource it to do the marketing. Or for me, what I do is I just consult with my clients, and every time I hear about a new way that somebody's marketed their book, I add it to my list, and I share that with my clients. And then, again, it's as I sort of said before, it's up to them to decide how much time and energy and where they want to spend that time and energy to push their book. And really, you know, it, it's so dependent on the topic of the book and who your audience is and, and where you can find them. And, of course, there are many things you can do, like newsletters, have a website, do a blog, um any things like those, go to independent bookstores, get your books there, um, give speeches, um, and, of course, do radio shows like you're doing. Mm-hmm. 
any way you can get your name out there. <laughs> well, it seems like it's a lot of work. And um, do you prepare people like this is going to be a lot of work if you want to mar- you want me to help you market your book? You have to do a lot of the work. Correct. That's the, the and there's a fine line between whether I'm a publisher or they're self-publishing or Amazon is a publisher or if you're using Ingram Spark or there's different companies that are the printers essentially for print-on-demand books. But it, mm-hmm. I do try and make it all clear. And it, of course, it's changing very fast. And uh, and I like my clients to be uh, up on all the options and so what they're getting into. But it, it's certainly. Also, I would say it's the, the biggest, I've seen a lot of speeches by authors who are successful and pretty much the main, the main answer they give when asked, what would you do differently if you were to do it all over again? They pretty much all say they would start their marketing plan earlier. So oh. even if you, you know, if you're writing your book, uh, don't wait till it's all done and completed. You need to really think ahead and that means things like book launch, dates and uh, press releases and things like that. And so there there are things you can do uh, ahead of time as, as you're going through the process. And so, uh, it, but yeah, just that, that would be something that, uh, I, and I know you're aware of, Anne, is, is how much, how difficult the marketing side is. But uh, it can be done, and don't let it intimidate you. Well, it's a lot of work, and people have to be prepared for it, and Honestly, it's really complicated. You have a language that I don't have, like, what is it, ICBM, whatever those numbers are, <laughs> and the book binding and all of that, the back of the book. So we really have to prepare ourselves to have some kind of person in our corner who is an expert on this. And I want to know, what's the best advice you could give someone who's thinking about writing a book? Well, I would say go for it. And like I said earlier, I can't stress enough what a what a great time it is. There's so many opportunities. Whereas even you know, ten years ago, uh, you could write a book, and then if you weren't able to find a traditional publishing house, you're sort of done. There was no other other than going and making copies yourself. Uh, but it was very difficult, and so the cost and the, the price has come way down to be able to do it yourself. And, uh, and, and it's, uh, there's a lot, I think that mirrors uh, a lot of things in our society today is that we're able to do things ourselves, take control and take power. So I would encourage people to do that and do more research um, okay. uh, about what your options are. All right, so that's really good advice, and I want to know if you'll tell us a little bit about the California Writers Club. That's so intriguing. What is that? Yeah, the California Writers Club is a great organization. I think there it was founded in 1912, I believe, or 1913. So it's been around a long time, and it's surprising how many people don't know about it or aren't aware. There are over 20 branches in the whole state of California, and I happen to be in the Mount Diablo branch here in uh, the Walnut Creek area. And uh, I serve on the board, and I do their website for them. And it's just a great organization of all-volunteer people. And, you know, writing, being an author is often a very solitary thing. And so it's a great opportunity for people to get out and talk with other authors that are going through the same 
thing they're doing and being able to talk with them about their experiences. Uh, and we get together usually once a month and have a speaker who's either usually a, a um, published author or somebody in the business. And it's just a great networking and learning opportunity. So you can Google California's Writers Club and find the closest branch to you, and you can go as a guest uh, and just check it out. That's what I would highly okay. encourage people to try that. And then how do people get in touch with you if they're interested in publishing or marketing or the Writers Club? You just said about the Writers Club, but what about getting in touch with you? Sure. I'd be happy to talk to anybody about uh, my services and their book. And you can reach me at area code 925-253-7790. Or you can go to my website. It's andrewbenzybooks.com. So that would be A-N-D-R-E-W-B-E-N-Z-I-E. B-O-O-K-S dot com, and there's samples of books that I've published and a list of services I offer there. Okay. And quickly, because I'm aware of our time, our time's almost up, where did that fly? So I want to ask you, just quickly, what are you doing this New Year's Eve or New Year's Day to have fun? Ah, that's a good question. I'm actually working on that right now, and I've kind of narrowed it down uh, to either going up to Mendocino to have a nice, quiet getaway or Las Vegas to have a, a noisy getaway, <laughs> or possibly back just stay in the San Francisco Bay Area and watch the fireworks. Okay. Well, Andrew Benzie, I want to thank you so much for being such an inspiring guest today. And listeners, this is Dr. Ann, your relationship mentor, wishing you all a fun, intelligent, and lively New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. We will be back on January 2nd. And remember, only you have the power to create your world as you want it to be. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. 
These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.